Welcome to Box to Box Football. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Box to Box Football. I'm Kyle. I got JJ with me. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. And, uh, you know, we got a little stuff to talk about here midweek. We've, um, you know, obviously got, uh, you know, the, the conclusion of week 21 in the, in the Premier League coming up. Uh, you know, we have international tournaments uh, going on in, in Africa, in Asia, um, some news around the, uh, the January transfer window as well. Um, but I want to start uh, with something that happened today, and that was from the African Cup of Nations. Uh, Egypt and Ghana played to a 2-2 draw, but maybe the biggest story coming out of that game, Mohamed Salah appeared to, to limp off for Egypt. Did, did he tweak something? Did he not? But uh, obviously that's, that's a big story, um, particularly for a, for a Liverpool team that is not only leading the Premier League right now, but it's got a little bit of an injury crisis. Obviously Trent Alexander-Arnold is, is out there. Uh, for a few more weeks, they've had some other uh, injuries pop up and, and crop up on him. I can only imagine what Jurgen Klopp's reaction was when he when he saw Salah lip off there. Well, we can't go into the mind of Jurgen and hello everybody, um, but we can go into our resident uh, Liverpool fan. As I put the information, because I was watching the Ghana Egypt match earlier today, which by the way we'll get to in a second. Absolutely cracking game, maybe the game of the tournament so far, but that in a moment. So I put the information into our little group chat for our uh, podcast here in box to box football. And I can't say everything that Stu said, but I can say most of the, well, some of the few things that Stu said, and it was basically along the lines of we get a guy hurt. We being Liverpool dash, 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 dash every time amongst other things but it is a serious thing because you know when you have these sorts of confederations being africa and asia playing their their continental championships during the middle of the season there's a reason for it more so with africa of course because unless you play uh, the tournament in South Africa or uh, some of the countries in the really bottom of the the southern portion of the continent it's you, it's not feasible just because it's gonna be too hot. Thank you. So you have to play in the winter. It's kind of a tradition with more and more um, premier league players, French league on players, Italian players that play in Africa that are from Africa. You're going to lose top talent. That's always a risk, but you can also say that in the summer when you have Copa America, the gold cup, uh, the euros, you do have some time to recover those losses in the transfer window. It could be same said right now with at time of recording, it's January 18th. So you have a less than two weeks to make something happen. But yeah, if you're Liverpool right now, you're not happy seeing Mo Salah, which the cameras didn't quite clearly picked up. We should say that at least from uh, the American feed on being sport and being sport only takes the local distribution, right? So we, we didn't quite see what, really happened um all of a sudden you see Mo Salah on the floor taking the wrap around his hands off slamming it to the floor but I put in the chat also it's kind of strange to walk watch him walk off the field with not too much of a limp not like you see him shaking his head and clearly something was bothering so you wonder if this is kind of a a slight thing or was there something that was being built up and now here you go he flies to uh Cote d'Ivoire plays a match and a half and then all of a sudden the the travel the jet lag going from high intensity and cold to high intensity and warm the body just doesn't acclimate as you'd hope it would and now you're just trying to be smart about it you you don't really quite know but yeah if you're Liverpool 
you're not happy. But Kyle, there's actually one group of fans, and this is not for Schadenfreude purposes. This is this is for a group of seeing player first off escaping what could have been a, a significant hand uh, injury beforehand, but seeing their guy do his ting, and that's West Ham and Muhammad yep. Kudus. Yeah, that was that was a terrific game that that you mentioned. Kudus scored uh, twice for Ghana in that game. Um, you know, and it was, it, it's kind of the, the African Cup of Nations always fascinates me because I think you get some really great games. Um, you, you know, they really, they really go at each other. Um, obviously, you, you know, you kind of hit on it. The big worry is for, from the club team perspective is that when they leave and the, the, the club team and you, you travel um, and, you, and you go into these different environments, you, you worry about the toll that, that takes on the body and, and losing guys. Um, but, you know, it, it also means something to these players to represent um, their countries on, on the state, on the, on the world stage like that. Um, and, and you look at a, you know, a guy like Kudus, um, you know, he, he's, he's a young rising star in Ghanaian football. Um, you know, he scores, he scores two goals there, um, you know, gave him the lead. And then, and then he, um, you know, Egypt equalizes Kudus scores, Egypt scores again, three minutes later, um, you have three goals in, in five minutes in that game, JJ, um, the ball is flying in the net. Yeah, it was kind of crazy scenes. And for those that weren't uh, knowing what I was speaking about, avoiding an injury, Kudus actually missed Ghana's first match of the tournament because it was perceived that he picked up some sort of a hamstring injury in training, which saw then uh, Ghana lose to Cape Verde Islands, which was kind of one of the big surprises of the tournament. Um, but yeah, good to see him do his ting. The, the first goal that he hit was an absolute bullet and then i love the fact that pretty much the entire team goes and does his celebration by sitting on the advertising hoarding and just have a rest because that's what he does but yeah this tournament has been fun to watch i'm not gonna stand here and say that i'm the biggest um you know and up to knowledge on african football but you do have these fascinating stories that have come about including earlier today emilio and sue for equatorial guinea scores the tournament's first hat trick since 2008 in a 4-2 victory over Guinea-Bissau, which puts Equatorial Guinea, who's ranked 88th in the world, by the way, in driver's position in their group. Cape Verde Islands, a team, and Equatorial Guinea, by the way, hasn't lost a competitive match in, I think it's like 18 months, which is pretty impressive to say the least. Cape Verde Islands, of course, with the victory over Ghana, they're in good position. You have the likes of Nigeria, who needed a William Trusi Kong penalty to get over the Ivory Coast and what could have avoided huge disaster if they didn't get the result in that one. You have Algeria, who stumbled out of the blocks against Angola. Probably the only team that did what they were expected to do was Morocco putting three past Tanzania and they're pretty much kind of keeping that form that they had in the Qatar 2022 world cup over into this tournament. I mean, we could probably talk about this in future shows, but I think that's going to be the team to beat in this tournament. Yeah. And I, I wonder, I just wonder if there's a carryover too for African football from the, the world cup where you had uh, a Morocco make that, that run to the, to the semifinal. It had never happened. An African team had never done that before. Um, and, and then Morocco doesn't, there's always been good teams that, that come out of Africa. I always think about, um, Sh- Senegal beating France in, in world cup in 2002, right? France was the, the defending champion and, and Senegal wins that, that opening match. I mean, there's been, uh, Nigeria's had good teams. Um, you know, Ghana's had good teams in, in, in the past. Uh, uh, you think about Drogba playing for, for Ivory coast. So there's been great players. They've had good teams and they finally sort of got that, 
that breakthrough that kind of shined a, a light on on African football. And I'm I'm just curious to see, you know, whether the 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 teams in in that confederation can continue to build on that um, coming into the World Cup in, in 2026, and and you know what they have in store when they when they come over here to to America. Well, the thing is, and this was actually highlighted in an episode for us maybe a couple of months ago, and we'll kind of switch uh, quickly over to Asia, is the fact that the, the expanded tournament, you're going to have more teams. So teams like an Equatorial Guinea, teams um, in Asia that we haven't seen all much of, like take, for example, Uzbekistan goes and gets themselves a pretty impressive 3-0 drubbing over India. Not exact India, not exactly the biggest, you know, world beaters in the world, but Uzbekistan ranked inside the top 70, um, doing a job there. UAE, uh, United Arab Emirates off to four points. I mean, you, you always have the traditional favorites in Asia, like Australia, South Korea, Japan, who are going to, you know, again, they're the, the possible favorites, but then you've got other teams like Iraq, who, lest we all forget, in 2004 Summer Olympics, darn near won the gold medal at the under-23. So, like, there are those teams that have those pockets of generations. And now that you're into an expanded World Cup format in a few years, we're going to up 16 teams. They're not all coming from Europe. South America is basically maxed out. You can't bring the whole continent. So they got to come from Asia and Africa. So it, it's going to be really fascinating to see um, who, you know, which of those teams that's going to really, as you rightly said, take the momentum from this tournament. I believe there's going to be one more Asian and uh, AFCON before the World Cup. Don't quote me on that, but I believe. No, actually, excuse me. There will not be an Asian have, Cup. There'll be an AFCON. You have Olympics um, this summer, too, in Paris. And the Olympics this summer. Yep, this very summer. good. So there's going to be some teams that are going to start to kind of drag themselves through the weeds and become not contenders to win the World Cup, but contenders to maybe take a few games off of some of the big teams. All right, let's let's uh, let's transition uh, back to England here, JJ, where uh, we finished up the third round of the FA Cup. Uh, th those last set of replays uh, were this weekend. There was an upset as Bristol City, 14th in the championship, 1-0, Knocks out West Ham. Obviously, West Ham didn't have Kudus for that game because he was away with with Ghana uh, at the at the Afcon. Um, but that was certainly the the big highlight from um, this week's round of uh, replays. And then, uh, as well, when you when you look at those uh, replays, Nottingham Forest slipped past Blackpool three two, North City three one over Bristol Rovers, and Everton one nil over Crystal Palace uh, in an all Premier League tie. Yeah, I mean, we talk about that West Ham-Bristol City match first, and it's that man again for the Robins, Tommy Conway, who he bagged the equalizer in the original matchup to force this replay. And I spoke about it after um, with Sean and a few of the other guys that you go down to Ashton Gate, it's just about, and that's the stadium for Bristol City, it's just about as good as a Premier League facility and atmosphere that you're going to get, but be forewarned of their position at the table. That means absolutely nothing in terms of this competition. They played exactly like that. Now, West Ham will probably have a few things to argue about if there is VAR involved. There are two incidents that probably should have seen at least upgrades from no cards to cards or players getting sent off. David Moyes, who continues, and I'll rightly back him on this that he didn't have anywhere near the full complement of players that he could have used for his bench he was one man short on his nine player bench and then used two goalies to fill the spots and a bunch of <laughs> academy players but this is the thing that continues to baffle me for West Ham is they're so consistent in the last three years 
in European competitions. And they do this with probably the smallest senior squad or there thereabouts. And the ownership just does not want to open up their pockets. I mean, the last episode we talked about you know, the financial fair play and you know other uh, regulations that are haunting some teams. West Ham just made, what, 100 mil on Declan Rice? Go and use that money. I'm not saying to go buy a superstar, but you can buy four or five depth players. Do something to kind of help yourself out. Now, of course, if you're West Ham, you look at the way that they performed in this replay. You look at the way that they performed in the EFL Cup quarterfinals, where if there was a way to maybe kind of lighten up their schedule a little bit, knowing that they still have their campaign in Europe in addition to their domestic, where they're they're searching for top six, okay, this is maybe that competition where you accept the losses, you try to perform to the best of your abilities, but so be it. But I kind of figured that how this was going to happen and probably was going to be the only upset that we have. You talk about the Blackpool match. I mean, Blackpool, decent in League One this year. I didn't think that they'd ever get through force. I actually give um, Blackpool a lot of credit from pulling from two goals down to force extra time. Blackpool had their goalie go off with an injury in the second half, so they're playing with a second stringer. Um, but Chris Wood in the box, you're always going to gamble, and he's going to find a way to tap one in. And Yeah, I mean, decent level of replays. Birmingham getting through, late winner there. Luton kind of scrapped that one by after Bolton shocked them early. Um, Everton with, by the way, I think it's their first free kick goal um, that Andre Gomez scored in something like over a that. thousand days. Yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah, I think I saw that on on Twitter. Somebody mentioned that it had been like it, that. It was it was some kind of wacky like. Stat it's over like three so years. Yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. So you know, good good for Everton getting through in an all Premier League tie, and it's going to set up a. You know, we'll talk about this next week when that round of matches uh, comes through. But it should be, um, yeah, it's going to be, the fourth round is going to be interesting. I was going to point out, Bristol City gets to host Nottingham Forest. And I yes. have to imagine Bristol City may like its chances of another upset in, in that tie. And potentially getting through to the fifth round, particularly since they have that, that game at home. Yeah, I'll be, um, yeah, I'm going to be fascinated to see how that one goes. And by the way, we do have the one dream well, the two dream ties, we already knew that Maidstone of uh, six tier going to go to Ipswich Town of the championship. But we do know that Newport County will be hosting Manchester United at Rodney Parade, uh, which is going to be the Sunday 1130 a.m. 430 or 530 p.m. in the United Kingdom. So that that's. That's going to be a fascinating one. Newport County, uh, I think it's like six or seven years ago, they hosted Tottenham in the third round, forced a replay. So, yeah, hey, that that's the dream tie, fourth tier versus first tier. Those are those are my favorite ones, especially when the top tier team has to go on the road. Um, yes, I, I'll be honest. I don't know what kind of what kind of surface Rodney Parade has, but I hope it's a muddy. I hope it's a bumpy, muddy pitch. So it's actually interesting because it is kind of a unique. It's a unique facility. No, it's, it's a big, so it's a big pitch, but it's also, I think rugby league plays or rugby union plays there. So you have the stand, like it's kind of a mishmash of stands on either side of the touchlines, but the stands behind the goals are like a good 40, 50 yards away. So kind of the eye sights are going to be a little bit strange. It's, 
yeah, it, it's going to be one of those types of day where man, you're going to have to bring their hard hats and their work boots and go to work to try and get a result. All right. Premier league, uh, match week 21, the conclusion coming up here, JJ, there's, uh, five matches on tap. There were, uh, there were five last week, five this week. Uh, you got Arsenal, Crystal Palace, uh, Brentford, Nottingham Forest, Sheffield United, West Ham, Bournemouth, Liverpool, Brighton, uh, Wolves. Anything about that stand out to you? I mean, obviously Arsenal's been struggling a little bit here in the league. It needs to get back on track against against Palace. Yeah. Um, they're all interesting in their own right. A lot of people are going to point to that Brentford Forest match because you can almost kind of quantify that as a relegation six-pointer. It's not both teams in the drop zone, but they're thereabouts. Um, Brentford... Could this be the day that we get Ivan Tony back? I believe he yes. is eligible to come back for that match um, versus Forrest, who had to just play 120 minutes in Blackpool, difficult place to play, and then go down um, you know, to play the G-Tech, which is not exactly an easy environment to go. The one that stood out for me, actually, we, we spoke again about the Liverpool situation where they do have the likes of Salah, who's unavailable, amongst other players against a Bournemouth team who have kind of turned things around yeah. a little bit. They're starting to play better. Looking at the form guide, yes, Liverpool in their last five matches, three wins, two draws, but Bournemouth, four wins and a loss. So something tells me, Kyle, that this would be one for the Cherries at home. You know, they ha they've had some time to sit around. They beat QPR coming from behind in the FA Cup, so they've had their week off. They lost to Tottenham, but they're on that nice run of form before that. Actually, if you look, their previous loss in the league uh, before that Tottenham match was actually at the beginning of November against City. So wins against Newcastle, Sheffield United, a draw against Villa, wins against Palace, Man U, Forest, and Fulham. They've taken care of business, and they're going to be a team that's definitely going to be you know, um, amongst strong confidence to try and go take something here. Yeah, by the way, Ivan Tony tweeted out free this week. A gif. A gif? Is it a gif or a gif? I can never I can never I can never decide whether I want to say gif or gif. But whatever whatever it is you want to call it, Ivan Tony tweeted one out this week that said free. Obviously he's been been banned for uh, eight months for, for gambling, but he had a terrific year last year for Brentford. Um, was one of the big reasons why the, why they finished as high as they did. He earned himself uh, a call up into the England squad. Uh, and look, they, they, this is what I thought would happen without him, is that they would struggle for goals. And that's what's happened. Brentford has lost five straight, right? Only, they're only three points away from the drop right here. So this is a massive game they have this weekend with Nottingham Forest. They're a point behind Forest. Forest is on 20. Forest has won two in a row here. So so a little bit of momentum there, particularly once they you know, they got that bounce, once they made the, uh, the manager change, um, and they brought, in, they brought in Nuno. They picked up a pair of wins now. Um, big game. That's 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 the game that I've got circled is that Brentford Nottingham Forest game because I think they're they're both going to go for it. Uh, they both need that that three points to try and create some separation uh, between themselves and the bottom three. Yeah, no, it's absolutely fair. And I mean, people are not going to sleep on Brighton and Wolves either because the way that Brighton, if things fall in their favor, they can jump themselves as high as sixth position uh, after this round. If they knock off Wolves again, another team that are in good form right now, Wolves with three wins, a loss and a draw in their last five. Brighton, just the one win and three draws in their last five. Um, 
for me though and for another member of our esteemed podcast mike that is not the biggest game of that day <laughs> of that monday because at 3 p.m eastern time it's lester versus Ipswich, one versus two in the championship and mike has said he will come on on our next recording to talk about it hopefully because that's going to be one of those days where Ipswich, you know, they needed a late equalizer to get a point, but they've gotten some new players through. Leicester just had a man sent off and got absolutely bullied at Coventry 3-1 on the weekend. So that's my yeah. real yeah. pick. Yeah, weekend. and you know what? Because because of that, those results over the weekend where Ipswich won and Leicester lost, that gap closed a little bit near the top. And if Ipswich can go... A pick and beat Leicester. Now it gets a little bit, you know, it gets a little bit tighter, right? Leicester's got a uh, quick math here. Says a seven point lead. If Ipswich wins that game, it goes to four. Now I think, look, I, I think Leicester is is going to get one of the two automatic promotion spots. I think Leicester's going to win the championship. Don't say um, that just so yet, I, though, because I, no, no, no. I'm, I'm saying is this just for the the form. Southampton haven't yeah, lost in their last twenty one competitive matches, so. They are, don't say that they're out of bar. it just quite yet. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Leicester's still got a ten point lead over Southampton, and and I I do think maybe they not win it, but I do think Leicester's going to get one of the two automatic spots. And I do think this. I do think whatever three teams come up from the championship for next season are going to be much stronger than the three that came up this year. So, I, like I think like Leicester and Southampton are maybe better equipped to come up from the championship and stay up than maybe a Luton was or, or a Sheffield. Um, and obviously Burnley has really struggled because they, they've been there recently. Um, you know, and I, I think at least I think Leicester's got an ownership that goes, okay, we had, we had one really bad year, right? Where everything that could have gone wrong went wrong and we got relegated. So what, do, like, what do we do now? Are we going to feel bad for ourselves and feel sorry for ourselves and, and be woe as me? No, we're going to still put a strong squad out by, Championship standards, which is what Leicester should do because you still have one of the biggest budgets in the championship, right? So you should have one of the more talented squads. Um, and, and they've gone out and they've taken care of business for the most part. Um, and that's why they're they're in the lead. Now, obviously, the championship is such a grind. Um, and, and you know, if you, you fall off on form and you lose four straight and somebody, you know, somebody wins four straight, the whole, you know, the whole table can get turned upside down. Like you said, Southampton, 21 straight without a loss. They're charging really hard towards those automatic promotion spots. But I still think Leicester's in a good position. I still think Leicester is, is the favorite uh, to, to not only win to win the championship and come back up. And, and like like I said, I just think whichever three teams come up, are, are they're going to be better equipped to compete in the Premier League than the three teams that came up this season. You know, I, I also just wanted to hit on the, the January transfer window before we, we wrap it up, JJ, um, because uh, one of the moves that fascinated me was Jordan Henderson is leaving Saudi Arabia, and he's, well, he's not coming back to the Premier League. Uh, he's going to uh, the Eredivisie, where he's going to play for Ajax the, the rest of this year. And it just, the, this Saudi Arabian thing with, the, the, you know, they threw a bunch of cash around. They brought in a bunch of players. There's rumblings now that Kareem Benzema is not all that happy. Um, and maybe he's looking for, for, the, uh, for, the, for the exit door there. <laughs> It reminds me a little bit of the Chinese Super League thing. Remember when they came in and they were throwing cash around and they brought players in and they came in and then all of a sudden they realized nobody's watching it uh, and and maybe and we can't put you know we can't pay all these guys 
um, and, and, and the players come over. And look, it's not it's not London, it's not Paris, it's not Madrid, it's not Amsterdam um, or wherever you may have been playing. It's a different lifestyle, and like you have you know you have guys who are used to something um, a, a certain lifestyle, and look, it is different when you go over there to Saudi Arabia. There's no if fans or, or, or buts about it. And I, I, for one, am not surprised that Jordan Henderson didn't settle in Saudi Arabia and is ready and is bailing out already. Yeah, no, it's all completely fair. And I think this is one of the more enlightening stories to come out. And I'm not saying this in a good way. I'm saying, as you said, with you know some comparison to the Chinese Super League. But for me, this is starting to prove that the grass isn't always greener when you're supposedly getting more money now. I cannot put myself in the shoes of a Premier League football or someone that plays in a European top five league. But the th- some of the stuff that I've seen, and you say Chinese Super League, I actually kind of compare it almost to the, the times when Beckham came to MLS in the late 2000s because you know, we had the recent documentary that came up and you know Beckham gets all this money, but the, the play is just second tier at best third tier is probably more likely standard and um kind of the difference between you know the chinese super league mls to the saudi pro league is that the saudi pro league actually has been around for a while this is nothing that's new those teams have had good success in um asian club competitions um you know this is that that's where i was like oh this is this is not like the live golf tour for me or some of the other stuff where like we're hearing all about the quote unquote sports washing. It's like, okay, it's a league that's been there. That's done some things. They're trying to up their profile, but you have to live there. Like, yeah, you have to physically go and live there. If you sign up for live golf, these guys aren't like moving to Saudi Arabia, right? For sure. Like I think that's what makes it a little bit different. You're making a major commitment to get up and and move yourself to a a a different country where you don't speak the language. You're not familiar with the culture. It's it's a lot different than wherever you were coming from. For sure, and I can understand and I can completely respect that if a player, not Henderson in this case, but a player feels like I've accomplished everything that I personally think I can accomplish. Let me go try something new. That's yeah. awesome. I think for Jordan Henderson, personally, he still had plenty of plenty to gain by playing, maybe not in the Premier League, but play in Spain, play in Italy. You know, the plenty of good English players have plied their trade and done very well for themselves in continental Europe as opposed to England. And we're starting to hear some of these stories that have come out where Henderson was, quote, deferring his salary to try and avoid British tax exemptions so he could still play for the national team. Now we're starting to understand that, and I go to what I said at the beginning when you asked me, it's not always greener by going to these leagues. These players are, you're saying sacrificing moving. They're sacrificing a lot more than what meets the eye of going to these countries and basically risking a lot more than just your professionalism on the field. Like, you know, not getting paid for six months. Like there's people that have been unemployed for many many years in whatever trade that they work in and that you have to you know provide for your family and these sorts of things and it's yeah i'm this is for me if this is the only case okay so be it 
if this is the tip of the iceberg and we start to see a dozen players kind of follow and say, yeah, this is just a big mistake. And now I've got to go tail between my legs and apologize and try to make up for it. This is where sometimes players research just wasn't done enough and they just see only certain things. And that's where you have to look at players agents. You know, what are they doing? Are they only just looking to make money for their client and make money for themselves? Are they looking out for the best interest of their clients? Um, So yeah, it's going to be something that I know a lot of people are going to be keeping their eye on over the next couple of months, really, if this is just the only one, or if we're going to see in the summer that all of a sudden, you know, the euros, right. You know, you have a major competition, you have players that are playing in either Saudi or other leagues and it's just not working. And all of a sudden they're not in the Euro squad, but they're still in the peak of their career and want to make the next world cup. Well, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to stay in the, this league or are you going to you know, admit that you've possibly made a mistake and not every case is similar, but you might've made a mistake and you got to go back home and, you know, earn your, earn your stripes again. You know, it's funny because the, the Saudis definitely wanted to bring Messi over when he was leaving PSG. Like there's there's no doubt in, in my mind that they wanted that. And it was down to, I think, the Saudis or, or Miami and MLS. And look, I think I think the missus stepped in and said, I'd rather live in Miami than in than in Saudi Arabia. And that may have played a played a factor in it. But look, obviously Messi, wherever he went, was going to be a huge hit. Um, you know, he you know, when he came over uh here to America. Um, you know what a what a what a you know what a boost that was for um, the, the the end of the summer for for MLS. I mean, obviously that's a that's a special case, but I just thought the whole Saudi dynamic was was something that was that was interesting and and that we should have you know take took a few minutes to to dive into, particularly because the January transfer window JJ has been uh, a, a little bit of a slow burn. I feel like it's it's always uh, that way, and, and and we'll see. There's about what you know twelve thirteen days left here. Um, and, and until the end of the month, and we'll see who makes a panic buy in the last, you know, three or four days. Yeah, I kind of got this one wrong a little bit because I thought that with the big winter break and teams that wanted to make, get business, they'd get business done early. Not to say that there hasn't been business done, but certainly it's not to the level that I presume that we would have a lot of loan deals, which often is the case anyways in January. You're going to get extensions of loans, players going out. There's still a handful that are still going to be looking on it. I believe we will be recording on deadline day. So that's, yeah, Um Actually, no, we will be recording the day after deadline day. So we'll have a, a good idea of what, you know, how this window has gone and how it compares to January's in the past. Uh, just a couple more things before we wrap up. Uh, the the uh, World Cup final venue will be for 2026 will be selected on February 4th. We think that's going to either be Jerry World in uh, Arlington, Texas or MetLife Stadium. Uh, in East Rutherford, New Jersey. I know which one I would prefer because of where I live. Um, but uh, it, it sounds like it's going to come down to either one of those two. Uh, let's see. Uh, also announced today, Christian Pulisic, U.S. Player of the Year for the fourth time at just the age of 25. Um, and one thing that uh, uh, Mike Samson and I talked about uh, two podcasts ago, we were, we were discussing the January transfer window, and he actually brought up the fact that he was disappointed that um, – a number of U.S. players were coming back to MLS who were still in their their prime. 
Um, although I, I did want to point out one that went the other way. Johnny Cardoso went from Internacionale in, uh, in Brazil to Real Betis in uh, La Liga. And we'll see what happens with, uh, with Gio Reyna. It looks like he's going to be out the door here at Dortmund before the end of the month. Looks like his preferred destination, again, is going to be La Liga. I think that's a good fit for him as well. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, to be honest, haven't really kept in tune too much with the American market um, at the moment. But yeah, uh, there could be guys that are moving and kind of more concerned about some of the guys that have been on the shelf for a little bit longer. Tyler Adams being one. How can he get himself he get healthy, back yeah. and going? Yep. Yep. All right, JJ, I think that's a, that's a wrap. A nice quick hitter today. Um, box to box football. You guys know how to find us. Like, subscribe. You can uh, ask us questions, and uh, and we'll answer them. Uh, and we will be back with you next week, and uh, we'll run down the uh, Premier League match twenty one, and uh, and look ahead to what's on tap. See ya. Thanks for joining.